Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, it was about uh, three and a half years ago that I found myself in probably fair to say the darkest season of my life. And I was trying to think, because I was sort of prepping for this message, like, was there a moment that would almost be like a culmination of that season, like one moment that I could point to and say, that's kind of all of it wrapped into uh, a nutshell. And I think it's this. See, there was one night in particular, it was probably maybe one in the morning, And see, there was this new development that had gone up across the street from the house I was living in at the time, and they just finished the road that was sort of weaved through that development. And it was so new, like it was done, but it was so new that they'd barricaded off the ends. Cars weren't allowed to drive on it yet. But that night, I found myself sort of wander across the street. Like I said, it's maybe one in the morning. I'd had a couple glasses of red wine. Don't judge me, Bible Belt people. And, uh, and there, I, there I am, laying on my back, staring up at the starlit sky, listening to uh, some sort of depressing music on my iPhone laying on the pavement next to me, and I'm uh, smoking cigarettes. Again, don't judge me, okay? It was a dark time. And side note, by the way, uh, just so you know how awkward, it's awkward being the mega pastor in town and standing in line at a gas station to buy cigarettes, hoping that no one from your church is in there, but times were dark. Um, I don't smoke. But I do remember that night just sort of taking these deep drags on some camel crush and the haze of the smoke sort of sitting between the stars and me. And I remember asking God in that moment, like, God, what in the world? Like, why? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? I don't understand. And here's what's interesting. Like, if you were to ask people in the town that I live in, if you were to ask people, like, like what, what's going on in Ryan's life? Most people say, man, things are good for that dude, right? I mean, at the time, the church that I pastor had just been named as one of the fastest growing churches in the country. That's pretty cool, right? And people saw my, my cute kids and the pictures I'd post online, and they'd be like, oh, that, that's good. But what they didn't know is behind the scenes, My then wife and I uh, had just decided that our marriage was gonna be ending. And what they didn't know as I laid there that night on the pavement is the weight that I was sort of carrying on my shoulders was this weight of like, what does this mean? Like, my family's never gonna look the same. What does this mean? I'm a pastor. Like, how do I do this? How, how, How do I... Do I stay in ministry? 
And again, if there's one word that I would attach to the, the thing that I was feeling that night, if there's one word that I would attach to the thing that, I, that was sort of resonating in that season of my life, it would be this, broken. I felt broken. You ever been there? Again, maybe not laying on a pavement very melodramatically uh, with Bonavere playing on your phone next to you as you smoke cigarettes. Uh, maybe not that. But you ever been there when you're in the car in the parking lot and, and something just happened? You don't know what to do. And so all you do, you just, you just keep smashing the, the drive, uh, the, the steering wheel. You ever been there in that moment where you're just crying out to God and you're like, God, I don't understand. Man, I don't get this. I don't, I don't get why I have to sit here in this moment, why I have to sit here in this relational loss. God, I don't understand why I got to feel this way. I don't understand why I got to walk in this anxiety or with this depression. God, I don't, I don't get this. I don't know what you're doing. God, why is this custody battle got to be such a mess? God, why, why'd they have to have the affair? God, I don't understand why the financial struggle. God, I don't understand why the job loss. God, this just sucks. You ever been there where the one word that you might attach to your situation, to your scenario, it would just be this, and maybe you're there right now. Man, I just feel broken. That's a heavy way to start a sermon. That's pretty heavy, right? Let me introduce myself really quick. Uh, my name's Ryan, and uh, I am a pastor from Canton, Ohio. And I feel like really, truly honored to be the pastor at the church that I am because they didn't fire me when I went through a divorce. And um, that was a joke. But no, I, I feel really, truly honored to be a part of, of the church that I, I am a part of. And, uh, and equally, I feel really honored to be here with you guys uh, this weekend. Uh, man, I've heard so many amazing things about hope and so many amazing things about the things that you're doing in your community and the amazing things that you're doing uh, just for the gospel. And that is absolutely amazing. And so again, I'm really excited to be here. And if I were, I'm not like a pastor who typically like puts a lot of time and effort into titling sermons necessarily, but if I were to pass or to title this sermon, uh, I think we would call it this. We'd call it God of the broken. I think that would be it. And I think maybe a good place to start this message would actually be with this. Have you ever noticed this? Like one of my favorite things about Jesus, and that's a really loaded statement because there are a lot of amazing things about Jesus. But one of my favorite things about Jesus, again, have you noticed this? Is that he has this propensity towards brokenness, Right? Like, he doesn't seem scared off by it. He doesn't seem to put it off at a distance. I mean, just flip open the pages of the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What do we see over and over throughout the gospels? We see this, that Jesus is approaching a sick person. Jesus is approaching the marginalized. Jesus is approaching the hurting. Jesus is approaching the leper or the prostitute or the tax collector or whoever it is going to Zacchaeus. Hey, the wee little man in the tree, the wee little man, was he? Come down. I'm going to hang out with you, Zacchaeus. He ate with sinners. This is who Jesus was. He just had this propensity, this thing where he was like drawn towards it. 
And I think this is significant for us because I think sometimes when we're going through these really dark seasons, these really difficult seasons, I think we can forget that. See, I, I think there are examples all through scripture. I'll just give a, just a few and then we're gonna get into the text here um, in just a minute. But I was thinking about like who Jesus' best friends were. Right? Like, like again, let's just, let, like James and John. Like, let's just look at some of his disciples. James and John. James and John were two of Jesus' disciples. They were fishermen. Right? So here's what this means. They also had a really cool nickname, the Sons of Thunder, which you're ever gonna, if you ever want to come up with like a wrestling duo name, like that's it. You know what I mean? And so the Sons of Thunder, James and John, they're fishermen. Here's what this means, the fact that they're fishermen. This means at some point, see, the religious sort of schooling system would mean uh, they were brought up, taught, educated in synagogues, and then there were these different phases, and at some point in their educational process or system, a rabbi or someone working in the synagogue sort of pulled them aside and said, hey, we don't think you have what it takes to go to the next level. And so why don't you just go do what your daddy does, go be a fisherman, okay? Go take on that trade. And that's what they did. And then Jesus one day is walking along the shore there and he sees him and he says, hey, you guys might have some baggage because someone told you that you, you weren't sharp enough or you weren't educated enough or you weren't this or that, but will you be my friends? I love that. Or, or here's another one. How about Matthew? Matthew, you know what Matthew's occupation was before Jesus came along? He was a tax collector. Now in the church, when we talk about tax collectors, it's always sort of lumped in with like prostitutes and tax collectors. And most of us know what prostitutes are. Some of us better than other, others. That's messed up. Okay, but uh, here's, here's the deal with, 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 with tax collectors. Tax collectors were so hated because they were essentially recruited by the Roman authorities. Again, the Roman authorities were, were, the Jews were under the authority of the Roman government. The Jews hated this. They were oppressed. They were overtaxed. They did not like the Roman authorities. And so the Roman authorities to try to keep the peace would actually recruit fellow Jews. They would go and recruit Jews instead of rolling in with centurions or rolling in on horses or whatever and ruffling a bunch of feathers. They would actually do this. They would say, hey, let's just go get some, some Jews to collect the taxes. And so here's what this meant is if you were a Jewish guy, you'd go around and you're working for the man. And every, all your Jewish brothers and sisters hate the man. They hate the Roman authorities. You're working for them. The Roman authorities are taxing them in poverty and you don't care. You're working for them. And then here's what the authorities would say as well. The Romans, they would say, hey, and you can skim a little off the top for yourself. It's fine. So again, this is why tax collectors were so hated in that context, because not only were they working for the man, but they were ripping off people that they grew up going to school with, people they went to synagogue with, people that they hung out with, right? These are like, like that is the worst of the worst. And so here's what Jesus does. One day he's walking along, and he's like, hey, Matthew, what's up, man? Uh, you're, do you want to be my friend? Here's another, I'll just throw one more. Peter, our guy Peter. We all know Peter. If you grew up at church, you know Peter. Tried to walk on water, sank, tried to, like, we, we all love Peter. I think we relate to Peter because he was kind of, he, he was, seemed like a pretty normal guy. And we don't talk about this that much, but Peter was maybe a little racist. 
right? Like there's one point in scripture where uh, Peter, he says, I, listen, I'm not taking this gospel message to those people. Let's just keep it among our people. And he had to be rebuked for it. Like Peter, no, this message is for everybody. This message is for all people. Man, I love that Jesus has this propensity towards brokenness. I love that Jesus says to Peter, hey, will you be my friend? He actually goes one step further with Peter. He says, hey, I'm gonna build my church on you, man. But I think one of the most maybe bold and obvious pictures of God's propensity towards brokenness is found in this story in Mark chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can open up there with me. Uh, the book of Mark is in the New Testament. You got Matthew, then you got Mark. And let me set the stage a little bit before we get into this. See, this is a story of a demon-possessed man. Now, uh, it's a little misleading to say demon because it's actually plural. You'll see as we get into the story. But uh, before we even jump into it, I, I wanna set the scene. See, here's what we find. Jesus has been teaching. Uh, he's been hanging out uh, with, with some folks. And I think he was teaching on like the, the parable of the mustard seed. And as Jesus is teaching and he's sort of telling this story, he finishes up and then we have to assume Jesus is tired, right? Because he's being pulled a million different directions. He's, he's teaching, he's healing, he's uh, hanging out with, he's eating dinner with different people. And so he's just constantly doing all of these different things. So he's tired. And so Jesus looks at his, his buddies, James, John, the sons of thunder, uh, Peter, right? He's looking at all these guys, Matthew and all the rest of the disciples. He's like, hey, uh, listen, here's this lake. What if we go over there on the other side of the lake? Like, what if we, well, let's just get in this boat. Let's just go over there. And all the disciples, they knew what was on the other side of the lake. We'll get to that in just a second. And so they sort of load into the boat. And again, Jesus is tired. So it says in, in Mark chapter four, it says that he found this little cushion. I like that, that it's like a little cushion. I just imagine like a little cute little with like the, the little um, things coming off the corners. And, and he's just Jesus, cute, sweet Jesus lays his little head on the little cute cushion, right? Just imagine that for a moment. And it says he falls asleep in the boat, Okay. And so they start to make their way across this body of water. But as they're doing it, this big storm breaks out. And we know it's a big storm because the disciples start to lose their minds. And they start to, again, I don't know that much about boats or whatever, but they start to kind of like grab things. And they're like, man, someone's got it. Someone, and and this, the waves are starting to like come up and, and hit the sides of the boat. And it's taking on water. And the, and the rain is coming in, not just like straight, like I'm imagining like sideways rain. And the wind is crazy. And so they're like maybe raising the sail or maybe lowering it. I don't know how boats work. Um, they're, you know, someone get a paddle and do this. And they get buckets. And they're like, and then someone looks over and they're like, where's Jesus, like, what do we do? I don't know. How do we, how do we do this? How do we navigate this whole situation? I'm losing my mind. And, and James and John are like, we're the sons of thunder, right? I don't know, probably not. Then they're, they're all freaking out. And then someone looks over and there's Jesus sleeping, just sweet little Jesus sleeping on that little cushion. It says cushion. It doesn't say pillow. It says cushion. There's a pillow I imagine bigger, but cushion seems small. And he's just, he's just asleep. And then someone comes to him, someone, someone comes to him and they wake and they start shaking and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're, you, we're gonna drown. 
And I just imagine he sort of gets up. And he's like, oh my gosh. All right. Stop. And it says immediately the wind stopped. Immediately the rain stops. Now here's what the coloring books will say. Here's what the, the, you know, the, the paintings will look like. Is that at that moment the sun came out. Rays of sunlight. Uh, beautiful day. We don't know. But let's say that wasn't the case. Yes, the storm stops. They're safe. Everything's fine. But I, I like to think that maybe there's still this sort of mist over the water. And I started to wonder, like, what if there was like this fog sort of still hanging in the air? And at just that moment, as this fog is sort of hanging over the air, and there's sort of this mist and this like eeriness, and the disciples are standing back like, did he just do that? Like, like freaking out. Did he, did he just tell the storm that it did it? What? I imagine they're terrified. And then it's at that moment that the boat just sort of comes ashore. And no one's talking, and the disciples, and James, and John, and Matthew, the tax collector, and Peter, get out of the boat, and they're like, not talking, right? They're just, this is nuts. And then in that moment, this is what we're going to walk into. Imagine how they're feeling in that moment, and then out of the fog comes some crazy dude with shackles on his wrist, cuts on his arm, demon-possessed. Guy's got a picture painted. This is like Stephen King stuff. <laughs> Mark 5. We're going to read a little bit. I'm going to stop and talk about it. We'll read a little bit, stop and talk about it, read a little bit, and you'll get the point. Verse 1, it says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So let's stop and talk about it. Gerasenes. This is a region that is Gentile. Meaning this, non-Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. His followers are Jewish. His disciples are Jewish. Jesus is a rabbi. His ministry up until this point has been to Jews. This is a significant moment in Jesus' ministry. He has intentionally gone out of his way. He has crossed this lake. He has gone through this storm, risked the lives of his disciples to do what? To go to a group that he's not supposed to. with a message of hope and love. This is a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. He's saying this, this thing, this salvation thing, is for everybody. Let's keep going. Verse two, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So what's happening here? So here's what we find, a couple things. Why is this dude uh, walking around with chains on his hands and on his feet? And what's going on? So... 
he's, he's got issues, okay? Uh, people know there's something up with this dude. He's kind of psychotic. And so there are two reasons that they would chain him. Number one, uh, the townspeople chain him up because they probably wanted to protect themselves, but also they were probably trying to protect him. But this guy was filled with such a supernatural strength, which as we'll continue on in the story, we'll see that it's a demonic possession. He's filled with such supernatural strength that he's breaking these chains, just like, just, whoa, just like incredible Hulk, just like, you know, just breaking these chains. And so he eventually, they're like, hey, we, we don't know where to put this guy. Or maybe he went out there by himself, but he finds himself now on the outskirts of town. This is where you would put a cemetery. This is where you would put a, a graveyard. And he's actually living in tombs. See, what they would do is they'd have these hillsides and they would dig into the hillside as that's how they would create these tombs. So he's actually like living in them. Like I said, this is like really weird stuff. Verse six, it says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So here's again how I imagine this playing out. I think that this demon-possessed man probably had a way that he went about things. I think these demons that reside in him, uh, they want to mess with this guy. He's like their toy. Okay, so they're trying to, they want to elongate it and just have as much fun as they can. And so uh, they've been sort of interrupted by people in the community uh, that try to chain them up. They've been interrupted by people who try to sort of squelch their fun. And so I think that these demons probably have a strategy when it comes to how they deal with people who try to stop that. And I think the strategy is probably, we're just going to freak them out. Right? And so here's this demon-possessed man. They see someone coming from a distance in the fog. Maybe they heard it, the, 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 the guy talking to the storm or whatever. I don't know. But they, they approach Jesus as they run towards Jesus. I think maybe these demons didn't know who they were running towards. I think they were just trying to do what they're trying to do. Like what they've always done is just scare this guy away, scare these men away. And I just imagine they run towards him. And I imagine in that moment, James and John, the sons of thunder, are like, what? No, we're done. We're done. We did the storm. Dude's running at us. Let's get back in the boat. Jesus, let's go. This is silly. And it's at this moment that the demons realize who's in front of them. And I wonder if it's in that moment that they're, that they're just like, ah, you know, just doing the thing, ah, and then just, what? No, fall to their knees. Whoops. And here's what they say. He shouted, the demon-possessed man, at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. So again, a couple things here. The first is this. In this sort of spiritual sort of moment, there's significance to the establishing and the knowing someone's name. And what the demons are trying to do here is they're trying to get authority over Jesus. If they can establish, if they know his name, then they can sort of direct, they can sort of speak into, but this is Jesus. This isn't just some dude. But they're trying. 
And they asked this question. They said, what do you want with us? And this is really significant. A more maybe literal interpretation is, is this. But these actual words, it's what do we have in common? That's actually what this demon is asking Jesus. He's really saying this. He's saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. Uh, what do we have in common? We're not the same. You're, you're who you are. Uh, we're who, who we are. Just kind of, we're just, how about Jesus? Here's what he's actually saying to Jesus, the demon-possessed man, the demon speaking. He's saying this. You just do your thing. Let us do our thing. You leave, just leave us alone and we'll just kind of go about, can we just, you, how about you just get back in the boat? And what to me, what this sort of showcases, it's like in John 10, when, when Jesus says these words, the evil one comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I come to give life. And I think what this demon possessed Man, these demons inside of him are recognizing is that Jesus is coming to rescue this guy. And they're trying to figure something out. So Jesus says this. He says, um, he says come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him this. What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Again, there's significance here. Jesus is like, whoa, hold on a second. You think you're gonna get authority over me? You're not gonna get authority over me. You're crazy. But what's your name? And this is when I think these demons are like, oh no. This isn't gonna end well. But they say something really interesting. Maybe you've heard this in other sermons or Sunday school classes before. They say this, this kind of really creepy thing. They say, we're legion. See, a legion in the Roman military 2,000 years ago was the largest military unit, usually made up of about three to 6,000 soldiers. And so here's what this means. This is, I don't know if the demon's being literal here. I think he's just saying, it's not one of us in here. There's a whole bunch. But here's what just happened. Now Jesus knows his name. Now Jesus can direct something towards him. And they know it's not going to work out well for him. And so here's what they do. It says in verse 10, it says, and he begged the demons within this guy. It says, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area because now they know how it's gonna go down. Now they know Jesus has come to bring life to this guy. So they're begging him, please don't send us out of this area. Why don't they wanna be sent out of the area? Because they know there are other people that they can torment. They know they're gonna be done with this guy because Jesus isn't gonna have it. But they're like, just let us stay here. Let us just kind of cast us into town. We'll just, it'll be fine. We, can we just go there? And they, it's not gonna work out. So here's what it says. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. So this is just like kind of a weird part of the story. 
But here's why I think Jesus allows, he gives permission to the demons to go into the pigs. Here's why. Because I think he wanted the people there to see. And I think he wanted us to know. This is, this is what the demons and the evil ones are actually trying to accomplish. They just want to kill. Watch, watch what happens when they go in the pigs. That didn't take long. This is, this is their desire, is to just destroy. So Jesus, it says he just allows, he just permits them to do it. He doesn't cast them necessarily into the pigs. He just says, okay, you can go. And they go into the pigs. Pigs go off and drown. Story ends like this. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They're like, this is different. <laughs> Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They're like, we don't know what just happened, but that was a lot of pigs. And that guy was naked and uh, insane, and now he has clothes on. And you're freaking us out. And they begged Jesus to leave, and so he, he listens. It says, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. So again, just let me hit that last part. So this guy, his life has just been saved. It has been rescued. It has been changed changed, right? I mean, just completely uh, turned upside down. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, I want to go with you. Let me, let me do this. And here's what I think. I think Jesus, the reason he says no is because he's being told to leave, but he's like, you go in and you tell them about me. You go in and tell them how your life has changed. And what's it say in the text? It says he does just that. And the people were amazed. And so that's a lot, okay? I know that's a lot. And you're sort of, you're trekking with me and you're like, wow, that's, we really, really broke that down, Ryan. But I thought we were talking about brokenness. Why this story? And here's why. I can't think of a much more broken guy than a dude walking around with chains on his wrists and on his feet with cut marks all over his body, living in a cemetery naked. Can you? I can't think of a much more broken guy in isolation, crying out day and night from the hills for some release and relief. Relief. 
so as I was sort of digging into this text, here's what I started to think. I started to recognize there are certain things that Jesus does in this story that I think are, are not only happening here in this story, but are practical in your and my life as well. Three things, because preachers do things in threes. Here's the first one, you ready? Here's the first thing I see in this story and I see it in your story too. If you're sitting in a season of brokenness, in a season of hurt, in a season of pain, in a season of frustration, in a season of heartbreak, in a season of joblessness, whatever your season is, okay? If, if there's this season and the word that you would attach to it is just like, I am broken. If that's where you are, here's the first thing that I see in this story and I think is relevant to your story as well. Here it is. Jesus goes to him. Right? Again, let's retrace it. Jesus, teaching about a mustard seed, says, I'm tired, give me my cushion, gets on the boat, a sweet little cushion, big storm, goes across the lake, they're gonna drown, everyone's freaking out, raise the sail, lower the sail, go port, start something with a star, there's a word with a star in, or something, right? And they're pulling on the rubs, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. Jesus calms the storm, rolls up on the shore, fog all around, really scared. Disciples are like, this is a mistake, Jesus, this was a mistake. Guy coming after, out of the mouth of the fog. Jesus goes through all of that. For an opportunity to meet with a crazy man living in a cemetery. Jesus has a propensity towards brokenness. Jesus goes to him. Well, Ryan, what does that mean for my life? I don't know. How about this? Jesus was in paradise, in heaven. John 1 says he left heaven. He came down here. He put flesh on. I love how the message translation says it. It says that he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus comes here, lives 30 years, a perfect life. You think Jesus wasn't tempted? Are you kidding? Jesus was tempted like crazy. I'm a single man as a pastor of a mega church. You think there aren't girls sliding into my DM on Facebook? It's awkward. You think Jesus didn't have girls walking around in sundresses like, hey, Jesus, you a rabbi? You think he didn't have moments where the pride could be there? You think he didn't have moments where, man, this is, we're talking about Jesus. He lived 30 years, perfect. Three years of ministry, goes to a cross, dies, a death he didn't deserve. Tortured, brutally beaten, Dead for one day, two days, three days, says I'm over it. Move the rock aside. Why do you do that? For you, because he has a propensity towards brokenness. Jesus comes toward us. Amen? Amen. Here's the second thing I see in this story. It says, I'm sorry about the DM thing. That was a weird thing to say. I don't know why I said that. I always joke about it, and I was like, you guys don't, you guys don't know me. <laughs> Here's the second thing. Jesus heals this guy, right? 
Jesus heals him. Jesus has the power to heal. So not only does Jesus go to him, Jesus has the power to heal him. And again, here's what I know about you and about me and our story is that, man, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what struggle it is. I don't know what you're trying to overcome. I don't know what anxiety or depression or heartbreak or, or divorce or custody battle or whatever you're going through. I don't, obviously, I don't know. I don't know you. I live in Ohio. But I do know because it happens in this story and I do know that it's happened in a lot of others and it's happened in different seasons in my life. I know that he has the power to heal. And so here's the awkward thing is I can't promise you that he's gonna heal the chemical imbalance in your head. I can't promise you that he's gonna heal your cancer. But I know he can. And here's the thing, I keep hitting on it, I'll just say it again. I can't promise he's gonna heal your marriage, he didn't heal mine. But on the other side of it, he's brought healing into my life and my heart. And here's one of the things that I think we can find peace in, it's this, it's that even if we don't see the healing that we want, there is a promise of healing on the other side of this life where he says, I'm putting everything back together again. And I know for some of us it's like, that's not super hopeful, but it should be. So here's the third thing. Not only does Jesus go to the man, not only does he heal the man, he uses him. That's how that story ends. He says, hey, I don't want you to come with me, but I want you to go back into town where all those people saw how psycho you were and how crazy you were and how you were naked all the time and all that stuff and they tried to chain you up. Go back to them and like put clothes on, see what happens. <laughs> Jesus uses him. And what does he do? He he goes back in and says, they were amazed at the things he said about Jesus. And here's where I think a lot of us sort of struggle is we feel too broken to be used. We feel too hurt to be used. We feel too lost to be used. We even do this silly thing in the church. I think it's silly. Uh, we do this thing in the church where we're all about somebody's testimony as there's like a safe period of time between the moment that the bad thing happened to the moment. You know what I, I find really interesting is the Apostle Paul, what does he talk about one time? He talks about having these thorns in his side, right? Remember that? The Apostle Paul, he's like, man, I've cried out and cried out to God to take these thorns out of my side. We don't know what they are, but it was some sort of struggle that he had. And you know what? God did with Paul, even in the midst of that, those thorns and that struggle, he was like, I'm gonna use you now. Sometimes we do this silly thing in the church where we're like, hey, God's gonna use you, but make sure that you've had eight years of therapy first and make sure that you've done this first and make sure you've done this first. And, and, uh, and, you know, and once you, you got enough time removed, then we'll bring you up and we'll do a nice little video and we'll make it really polished and everything. And, and sometimes I think God is like, no, I wanna use you right now. And I know that's not everybody's situation, some of us need the time and the space and the healing, but some of us, God's like, I just wanna use you now. 
See, here's what I think. I think there's some of us that are here today, whether you're in a room or you're watching online, I think there's some of us that are here today and you're kind of like I was three and a half years ago and you're just sort of laying on the pavement at one in the morning, you drink a couple glasses of wine, you're smoking cigarettes, even though you're, a, you're not a pastor, but I'm a pastor. You're, you're doing that whole thing and you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're listening to Bonavere or maybe even Radiohead. Maybe I was that depressed, okay? And you're sitting there and you're just kind of like, I'm not getting off this pavement. I'm not getting off this pavement. I'm too broken. I'm too beat up. I'm too, it's too much, too hurt. I'm, I'm just going to lay here. I'm just going to, I'm going to curl up. I'm going to get that little cushion from Jesus. And I'm not trying to discredit the hurt and the pain and the hardship that you're going through, the job loss, the financial struggle, the divorce. I'm not trying to discredit the custody battle. I'm not trying to discredit the health struggle. I'm not trying to discredit that. I get it, brokenness is real, but there's some of us, not all, some of us that are just, we're just laying there. I mean, I think Jesus is like, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. Come on. Come on, get off the pavement, right? Because man, I went to great lengths in pursuing you. I have the power to heal you and you better believe I'm gonna use you. Let's get up. I don't know what you're going through. I don't, I don't know your story, but I know that there's one who does and he has a track record that's pretty good. Lean into that. Lean into that. Trust that. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God with a propensity towards brokenness. Thank you for being that type of savior. God, I pray for healing on those that need healing. God, would you do a miraculous work? God, I pray for, for those that have been kind of sitting, just sitting in that place of like, I'm, I'm too messed up to be used. Nope, it's time to get up off the pavement. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.